So that was a very different rendition of leaning on the everlasting arm. Uh, so I definitely got that wrong in the announcements. But the same truths of, of each song hold true to what I said in the beginning of service, which I've already forgotten about. But if you want a reminder, go back and watch it after it gets posted. Uh, we are continuing our sermon series, a look at biblical fasting, not by bread alone. Our sermon today is sacrifice over Starbucks. Okay, sacrifice over Starbucks. So uh, there may or may not be three gift cards for Starbucks around the sanctuary today. But when I say the word Starbucks, what comes to mind? Keep it appropriate. Okay. Coffee, thank you. And Carol Strader's back with us. We love her. We are so glad that she is back, even though she comes all limped out with a dislocated knee. Uh, so we pray for her. I should have prayed for you in the thing. Uh, by the thing, I mean the congregational prayer. Um, but we welcome Carol back. It's good to see her. So coffee, thank you very much. Very good. What else? Overpriced. Thank you. Okay, overpriced. I had a feeling that was coming. Okay, so the gift cards, uh, they're $10 each. May or may not be able to get you one item at Starbucks. We don't know. Uh, it depends on all the stuff you put in it. What else? Randy. <laughs> this is a place of grace and no judgment, uh, but Randy said pretentious. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> I thought it. You said it. I appreciate that. Trendy. Sure. Long lines, especially the one on Calumet. Union. Oh, Mike. Unionizing. Thank you, Mike. Okay. Let's move on. Over. Overrated. Okay. Anything else? Delicious. Now I feel some tension going on in the room. Yeah. Uh, pretentious, overrated, delicious. I have it every day. Okay. Oh, was that a hand? No, shoot. Hi. You're just waving. Okay. Others? What? That is the best answer ever given in this church. Pumpkin spice lot. I applaud that. Thank you. I applaud you. So do about a third of the other people. Not Randy, though, because he thinks we're pretentious. Um, tea. Okay. Go ahead. Seattle. Thank you. Why Seattle? What? That was where it's founded. It's like you're writing my sermon. So funny how we all have very different feelings over Starbucks, though it didn't start that way. Starbucks, you know, founded in 1971, March 30th, by a couple different co-founders, Gordon Bowker, Jerry Baldwin, and Zev Sagai, opened the first Starbucks in Seattle, right, uh, 1971. And the thing about Starbucks, it was on a port town, right? Seattle's a port town. And one of the main, if you read the story of Starbucks, is they wanted sailors that came off of whatever voyage they were on to be able to have a nice hot cup of coffee when they come back. Now, if you take kind of that understanding of uh, hospitality and warmth and all of that, and that's how it originally started, I would say that that still holds true. Right? That if you go to a Starbucks, it does have a very kind of warm feel to it. Right? The idea of coffee houses and people hanging out there, Starbucks really attributed to that. But one of the things we notice as it started to get trendy and all of those things is 
let's just call it the cost, that you can go to Commander and get a cup of coffee and it costs you like 70 cents, or you can go and get a cup of coffee. Now, I don't care how you think it tastes or whatever, but coffee there is like $4, right? That there's this, this range of, uh, of uh, cost, but it's more than the cost. Starbucks was about the experience, that when you experience all that a coffee house has to offer, it's more than just the cup of coffee. But when you go back to the original founders, when they put it together, they wanted to be a safe haven for those that sacrificed everything to go on the seas and to get the fish or the crab or the lobster or whatever it was, that there was a place that was home to them. That was its original intent. But now you look at Starbucks, and that original intent is lost in a lot of ways. But the thing that I want to touch on is the, the logo. The logo for Starbucks, if you've ever saw it, is the logo of the mythical, mythological creature of a siren. Okay? These were like, oh, it's, it depends on which mythological system you, you, you read, but they were like, like half birds, half women that sing these songs that at the end of the day would lure uh, sailors in and then make sacrifices of these sailors that they would get like safe passage. It's very dark, right? And some of you are like, are you serious? I'm never going there again. Sorry, Starbucks, but that is what it is, that you made that your logo. That there's this understanding and encompassing of Starbucks that has this idea of sacrifice as far as what the, the logo was about, but also that it's become this kind of giant thing in our life. That Starbucks, that coffee house, has shaped a lot of our culture. It didn't ask our permission, right? Starbucks didn't knock on your door and say, we're going to change this element of a coffee house. We're going to change this kind of trendy and whatever understanding of what it means to be a business. But now there's Starbucks everywhere, right? And this understanding of how this movement grew took a vision and took sacrifice of these founders, I wonder if we were sitting with them today and you were talking about what Starbucks is now, this global brand, if that was at all what the heart was of the three that started it back in 1971. And one of the things and one of the reasons why I bring this idea of sacrifice in Starbucks up is because undoubtedly during the season of Lent, people give stuff up. Right? We talked about that a couple weeks ago when we were in Lent, in the Lenten season, that people give up. It follows kind of the Catholic trends of giving up meat on Fridays. Uh, some, uh, that's really the only denomination that calls for that kind of sacrifice. But understand that it's this giving up. And undoubtedly, when, as a pastor now going on 16 and a half years, someone will say, for Lent, I am giving up Starbucks. That Starbucks comes into their sacrifice of their life. Because Starbucks has taken hold of an aspect of their life, and not in a bad way, but that Starbucks is something that they, they uh, budget for, right? Uh, whether they have to sell a child or mortgage their house in order to keep that, you know, that it's one of those understandings that it is something that is so big in their life that they have to give up Starbucks. That they're making this gesture of themselves that for Lent, I'm going to give up Starbucks, Let's go back to this understanding of Lent because fasting plays right along with it. I had a congregation member talk to me about that 
maybe this sermon series would have been better in a Lenten series. And I thought to myself after that conversation with her, I was like, duh, that's exactly what that should have been. And so again, that was a swing and a miss. So maybe we'll bring this back up in 2031 when it comes to Lent about, you know, sacrificing and all of these things about fasting. But I did a little bit of history about this idea of Lent and fasting and sacrifice and all of these things. And we get it way wrong. That a lot of people give up And I would say even the Catholic Church, this idea of giving up meat, right? There's a comedian that once said, you know, why do Catholics give up meat? Because the Pope owns Long John Silvers. And so understanding some of that is probably inaccurate. But that this idea of giving up something physical, though it's powerful, and if you want to do that, and that's part of your faith formation, God bless you. It had nothing to do with that. So Claire, I'm gonna, we're going to go back to the scripture, but there, here are the things back when this idea of fasting and Lent, uh, uh, when uh, Constantine kind of brought this to be in the early 300s, this are, these are the things that people gave up for Lent and what they kind of, uh, this is the, the angle and the spiritual direction. Anger and hatred, that I'm going to give up anger and hatred for Lent. I'm going to give up judging others. I'm going to give up discouragement whether that is self-discouragement or discouragement of others. I'm going to give up complaining. Teddy, what did I just say? What was number four? Complaining, right? That, we gave, we, that people gave up complaining for Lent. Parents, you're welcome. You can use this. Um, resentment or bitterness. Spending too much money, right? Enter Starbucks. Right, that this understanding of giving stuff up had less to do with the outward and more to do with the inward. So just leave that up there for a second. So us as a church, you know, we don't, in the Reformed tradition as Protestants, we don't necessarily talk about the idea of giving stuff up for Lent. But in this series of fasting, I'm going to remove the word Lent and put in fasting that isn't, aren't these the things that we should fast from all the time? That shouldn't we fast and give up this understanding to get that, that, that spiritual awakening that we talked about week one of this series? Anger and hatred, judging others, discouragement, complaining, resentment, bitterness, spending too much money. That this understanding of fasting, fasting from food, and we've talked about that and we'll continue, is a good thing. But the scripture we're going to talk about was Jesus preparing for his ministry and just what it means to rely on God during your fast, but in your everyday life. Now, what if we, instead of being anger, being an angry people, or people that hated, which is against our call as believers, what if we relied on God to give us the right engagement for people instead of anger, and instead of hatred, instead of judging, instead of discouragement, instead of complaining or resentment or bitterness, or maybe the idea of spending too much money that God is enough for you? Like what if we had this kind of change our focus as believers? I think, actually you know what, I know that we would see the world in a very different place. Because I could ask for a show of hands, how many of us get, I'm not going to do it, don't raise your hand, but how many of us get angry easily? How many of us maybe even hold hatred in our heart? How many of us judge? How many of us are prone to discouragement of ourselves or discouragement of others? 
How many of us complain? Pastorally, I'm going to say all of us, including myself. How many of us hold resentment or bitterness? And that sixth one, spending too much money, we won't spend too much on that, you know, but that, that, if that is for you and that's a struggle, okay. But now we're going to look at uh, uh, Jesus' road when it comes to this idea of fasting, and it's going to be in his temptation. So I want you to think of these things as we enter through Luke chapter 4, the first 14 verses. So if you brought a Bible out, pull it out to Luke 4, 1 through 14. Again, we use the English standard version here, the ESV. If you have other versions, that's great. But it says, Luke writes, Luke's writer writes, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Men shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. And he said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to, I will give it to whom I will. If you, if you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest your foot strike against a stone. And Jesus said to him, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until a more opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went throughout all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, synagogues being glor glorified by all. So we, a lot of us that grew up in church know this account. I'm going to say that Luke throws a lot of detail here that, that Mark, Matthew, and John uh, don't, but understand that there's still this spiritual attack on Jesus. Which again, one of the easy things we can pull out, the, the low-hanging fruit, if you will, of the sermon, is if Jesus can be tempted by the, by the devil, we can. And so please understand that that is something that we have in life, this idea of temptation. And this is the Son of God, right? But there's a lot of things going on here that comes to this idea of fasting. So fasting helps us gain control enough to surrender our, our lives to God. That when we fast, we're giving up control. We've talked about that for a couple weeks. We're asking God to have some kind of spiritual awakening or spiritual discernment or understanding. And so we are voluntarily denying ourselves of something, focusing on God. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've learned to put that in the right order, right? We don't fast to get our way. We fast to say, thy will be done, not my will, right off the bat. That's a change of our everyday life. In our culture today, we want it our way right away, right? We get that from the whole Burger King conversation last week, that we want it our way, that we want to see our lives the way we really would like to design it. Though we had no part in creating our own life, 
We would love to have a say of how our business is going to be successful, how our kids are going to be grown up, right? How our marriage is going to be, how our status in the community is going to be, how our church should be, all of these things. That every day we are tempted to have things our way or at least have the mindset of that. Fasting lays all of that down. It has to. You cannot begin a fast and still think it's going to be your way. It's not a what would you do kind of understanding. It's a what would Jesus have for your life. And the only way we can fully understand that is by diving into the scriptures, learning from Jesus himself. And Luke's account of his temptation is huge because it helps us understand that when we face these temptations for the comforts that the devil thinks he can offer, and the devil can offer the worldly things because he is the prince of the world. He's not the king of glory. He's not the son of man. He's the prince of darkness. He's the prince of the world. He can, he can offer everything. He's the best used car salesman ever. Now, please understand that I'm not, I'm not equating used car salesman to Satan. That's not what I'm doing. But understanding what that means is he's going to try to sell you on everything all the time. Satan is the giant over-promise, under-deliver. That's what he is. That's his mechanism. He's wise. He's evil. He brings that all together in our lives. So if fasting helps us gain control enough to surrender our lives to God, right, we're gaining this spiritual awakening, this spiritual understanding that all of this belongs to God. How did Jesus do it? Well, it starts right off the bat. Luke tells us that he was hungry, right, for 40 days. He had not eaten. A 40-day fast, that's a long fast. If you've ever done that, God, God bless you. I don't think I could, right? Uh, it takes a lot for me to get hangry, but how many of you get hangry, right? So if you don't know what that means, that's you get angry when you get hungry, right? I didn't coin the term, but a lot of you rose your hand, some almost before I asked it. After 40 days, I would be beyond hangry. I would be hay in jail, Right, like it would be, it would be real bad. Forty days of not eating, but Jesus, again, I, I will never know what, why Jesus did it. But the Gospels tell us he was preparing, which we should be able to pull from that, preparing for something massive. Fasting is a good way to do that spiritually. So Jesus, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, is fasting. He's in the wilderness, and Satan shows up. Now, one of the things we need to see is the way Luke writes it, this is only three temptations that were probably many more, right? That in this, Jesus or Satan constantly just trying to knock Jesus out of his ministry because let's call a spade a spade. If Jesus wasn't going to do his ministry, that means he wasn't going to go to the cross. That means he wasn't going to rise again. That means at the end of the day, Satan will win. But that's not what happens. But in this temptation of Jesus, we see some very interesting things that we should be able to take and put on our own spiritual life. And one of the things we need to see is that Satan is going to come after you in your fast, in your spirit, you know, desire for spiritual awakening with the physical. We are physical beings. So if we are going to fast from food, where the te- what is the temptation probably going to come from? Eating. Because we are hungry. When we're hungry, we want to eat. It's not rocket science, right? Now, a lot of us, we eat for many different, ra- many different reasons. Some of us, we're emotional eaters, right? Some of us are maybe depressive eaters, 
right? When are stressful eaters, when, you know, when we, when we get stressed out, we have that, that kind of Sophie's Choice understanding of salty or sweet, right? And we go down those roads and we indulge in food thinking that's going to make a difference. Food will sustain us physically for the most part, but the reasons why we eat are numerous. We all come to the table differently. But Satan hits this first temptation that we read about food. Jesus, I know you're hungry. I know you're fasting. I know you're preparing. But you're hungry. So I got these stones. Just turn them into bread. Eat. One thing we can learn from that, take the easy way out. So not only is he challenging him on hunger, he's challenging him on supernatural hunger. Because I don't know about you, I've gone, I've gone days where I've been hungry. I have not desired to eat stones or rocks. I don't get hungry enough where I look at boulders and go, hmm, and like lick it. That's weird, right? No, but what he's doing, he's testing Jesus' humanity and his divinity. Turn these stones into bread. Nobody else in the world can do that. But turn these stones into bread. And what does he do? He always defends the temptation with Scripture, with God's Word. He's so desiring and hungry for his Father's words, right? That's something else we should talk about. We'll get there in a couple minutes. Is that he is, he's, he's continuing the fast and he's fighting the temptation. That to fast takes sacrifice because when you're vulnerable, Satan knows. He's going to send a minion or two, right, or a demon or two, and he's going to try to get you to break your fast, to get your focus off God onto yourself. One of the easy ways to do that, when you're fasting from food, to eat. If you're fasting from electronics, you not think that he's going to try to hit you up there? This understanding of your need for it. We need food. We do. We need food to live. So Satan is going to be right there and say, don't worry about the fast. Eat. Right? Eat. He did the same to Jesus. He's going to do the same to us. Your physical needs, the physical comforts of life. Satan's going to say, do that. Focus on that. Get your focus. Again, I've always said it. Jesus doesn't want a relationship with you. He doesn't say, I want, I want to be your, 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 I want you to love me. No, he wants you to doubt God. That's Satan's goal, for you to doubt, that little bit of doubt. Doubt God. So we see that in the first temptation. We see it that Jesus goes to Scripture, right? He says, Jesus said to him, man shall not live by bread alone. Other translations say, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus, he's being tempted in his humanity and his divinity. He answers and, and fights in his humanity and his divinity. That the words of God will sustain us. The words of God will keep us going in life. So I got to ask a question. How many of us read God's word like we're eating food when we're hungry? Or maybe for some of us today, you don't dive into God's word. That God's word is maybe a devotion here or there, maybe a, a prayer at the end of the day, 
But there is something about diving into God's word that we can pull from Jesus that we shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Why do you think all of our children's ministries are based around scripture? Because we want to put the scripture in our kids' hands so they learn to eat it every day. That's why we have catechism. Right? That's why we have youth group. That's why we try to engage because we want them to have the pattern of eating, consuming God's word. Because we hope that as they get older, they'll continue it. That as they grow in their faith, that they will dive into God's word every day. And as I say that, I know a bunch of our adults, are, their body is tensed right now because they don't do that. But Jesus is telling us right off the bat, consume the word of God. You want to see the, word, the Lord reveal things to your life, get into his word. God gives us his word to grow us in the faith. It's one of the prime ways that we do that. So get into God's word. <laughs> Fasting is all about denying ourselves to grow closer to God. I don't know any way that we can grow closer to God more than reading his word. Having that prayer, can, you know, just having a conversation with God. He speaks to us through his word. Oh, pastor, you know what? I, I, I think God speaks to me through creation. Fantastic. That's called general revelation, and he does that, right? He can speak to us through, your, through, through nature, but I don't know anybody that has come into my office in 16 years and said, I was talking to the tree, and the tree told me this about my faith. Because at that point, we're having a very different conversation. But what we have to understand is all creation points to the glory of God, but God's word speaks to our soul. Can we have meditative, reflective times in beautiful creation? Sure. How many of you have ever had a reflective, beautiful time stuck in traffic on 94? Maybe one, two, I need to learn how you drive because I am thinking not godly thoughts when I'm stuck in traffic on 94. Ask my wife. But that is one thing God's word does that his creation does not. Speaks directly to our soul because creation is all fallen. Guess what's not fallen? The word of God. So Jesus uses that against Satan in this temptation. That part of our fasting is relying on God's word, sacrificing what we want to what God wants for us. Because what God wants for us is better than what our desires are in this world. The second, so not only does Satan hit up uh, Jesus in the idea of food, but now in this idea of prestige, authority, status, fame. I will give you all this authority and their glory. What, Jesus, or what Satan's talking about is not the authority of Christ, is not the glory of the Father, because Satan can't give that, though he will tell you he can, though he will promise you everything. I am not, this is, I gotta be careful with this one. There's a movie out there called The Devil's Advocate, right, Al Pacino, Keanu Reeves. I am not uh, saying pastorally you should watch that movie, because that movie has a lot of inappropriate stuff in it. But there are scenes in that movie where it, 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 it's a brilliant understanding. Al Pacino plays the Satan character. Sorry if that's a spoiler, but the movie's like 20 years old. Get over it. Um, 
is the understanding that what he offers, what he, what he tempts people with, he can't actually give. Satan's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. A lot of people think it's God v. Satan. No. God is the almighty. Satan will never be on God's level, though he may tell you he is. And what he does is he tempts the son of man, says all of this will be yours. Notice how in there, well, you're going to have to die for it. Like, I know you're going to go to the cross, but do that for me. No, he doesn't throw any of that in there. He tries to give Jesus the easy way out. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Who says that? Jesus to his disciples. Satan saying that here. I will give you all the authority and their glory, for it's been delivered to me. No, it hasn't. The derived authority that Jesus gets from God is what he gives to us. Friend, you already have all the authority in the world because you have Jesus. You already are walking in it if you have Jesus. When we fast and we focus on those things, we're reminded of the power we have in Jesus. Satan tries to give that to Jesus. To me, it's such a joke. But Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord your God and only to him shall you serve. Jesus doesn't have to say, Satan, I know my dad has all the authority. You don't. But how do we grow in our faith? By worshiping and serving. You guys are really good about coming to worship here and online. In serving, we're doing better. We're growing in that as a church. We need to continue to look for those opportunities to serve. Whether we serve internally with our kids' ministries, our adult ministries, the things coming down the line, or we get out in the community and serve. Isn't it funny that Satan tempts Jesus with authority and glory and power, and Jesus comes back to him with the commandment of serve God only, worship and serve God only. So what do we pull from that? That when we are working on our spiritual disciplines, when we want to grow closer with God, two key things we have to do. Worship and serve. So let me ask a second question. Where are you in your life of worship? And where are you in your life of service? Because if we want to grow spiritually, in our, in, not only in our faith, but in the, in, the, in the glory of who God is and our understanding of that, we do that by worship and we do it by service. And finally, we have this third temptation. So not only does Satan hit Jesus up with the physical, he hits it with the kind of the political, he hits it with the authority and the power and all of that. Now it's about life and death. So when you're fasting, when you feel those temptations and it becomes a life or death issue, this is the gospel according to Jim, to me, that's when Satan gets desperate. That's when he's trying to throw the kitchen sink at you. That all, dying doesn't, isn't going to mean anything to you. Right? When you die, nothing's going to happen. That, that all this is a farce. Live for the moment. Live for you. Live for the world. Live for all of these things. You think Mark Boris thinking that way right now? No. One of the last times I saw Mark Bohr, uh, he talked about, uh, if you guys don't know, at Hartsfield where he was here, not Hartsfield, sorry, uh, Park Place, he was on his scooter and he was kind of the Amazon delivery driver. They would, they would drop off all the packages and Mark would take his cart and just drive and drop off to all the different houses, right? Uh, and we always got mad that Amazon wasn't paying him uh, to do it. And if you know Mark, you understand that he said that. 
But one of the last times I saw him, he said, you know what I can't wait for is to ride my cart around the hotel in heaven, right, the mansion, and drop off all the stuff for people. And I looked at Mart and said, Mart, I really hope Amazon's not in heaven. But I said, Mart, guess what? You're not going to have the cart. And he looked at me, and he just see tears in his eyes. He said, Mart, you're going to be whole. You're going to be a, a new Mart. You're going to be a Mart that no one's ever seen, no one ever knows, except for Christ. And Mart Bohr was speechless. And if you know Mart, that's hard. Because Mart liked words, and he liked to talk, and he liked to joke. But when I looked to Mart and said, you're not going to need that cart. That is the understanding of who we are in Christ. That when we are going on these fasts, when we are sacrificing these things in our life, it's because God's always got something better. Because we know when we get there, it's going to be all good. There's not going to be any bad. There's going to be no tears. There's not going to be no pain. There's not going to be no despair. There's going to be no nothing negative in heaven. It's going to be glorious. But understand that when we go through fasting, when we get tempted, he's going to tempt you in those three areas. Your physical nature and your desires, your fame, your fortune, your wealth, and then in your life or your death. And those are the three areas of the believer that we need to seek God's word for. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but I belong body and soul, life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He's fully paid for all of my sins with his precious blood. He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. That I belong to him. So as we go through this season of fasting, if that's what you're doing, this season of spiritual awakening, know that you belong to Christ. You've never belonged to the world, and the world does not get the claim on your life.